Here we go. We are live. Hey, hey. Um, I was just doing an Instagram head on over. So I'm going to, it's real life. I'm going to post it on Instagram real quick while people join. Um, please excuse me for not being my usual chipper self. I'm going to try, but my husband has the flu and fingers crossed I'm not getting it, but I do not feel great. Um, so let me post this to Instagram really quick and then we will get started. I am super excited for today's, I'm always excited for a live, but this one's really excited. She is, what's up, Nicholas? Um, two Nicholases. <clears throat> My husband's name is Nicholas, too, and the other guy. Okay, sorry. I am all over the place today, guys. Let me post this on Instagram really quick so people know. Here we go. All right, let me do my spell. What's up, y'all? It's your girl, Sarah from Sarah Styles. Welcome to my channel. We are doing a live today with Jamie from Does This Come in Gold? Love her name. She is going to tell us all the things. I am so excited. I've been chatting a little bit with her um, about what we're going to talk about. She is a retail district leader, and I'll let her tell you a little bit more about what exactly that is in the fashion industry. She has a passion for plus size, and she resells part-time, um, although it's pushing full-time, 20 to 30 hours a week. Yeah. I feel like that's kind of the way, right? Yeah. Part-time ends up being a lot more than that. Um, and she is a seller on Poshmark and on Macari. I'm gonna do a real ploy for my channel. Um, if you like content like this, make sure to describe or subscribe, hit the little bell um, so you get notified of when new stuff comes out. I try and do a live like this at least once a week. Um, and so I put those up ahead and you can set a reminder for that. So without further ado, let's welcome Jamie. Um, I'm gonna tell, let her tell a little bit more about herself, where her business came name comes from, how she got into reselling, and then a little bit about what she does for her day job so we can learn how it's going to help us in our reselling. Cool. All right. Well, so that's like a big question. So, hey, I'm Jamie. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm Jamie uh, from Does This Come in Gold? And um, I have been, um, been on Poshmark since 2015, uh, but I have been, I would consider myself a reseller for about a year, uh, part-time in my full-time gig. Um, like Sarah said, I am a retail district leader. Um, and basically what that means is that um, it is my role to support um, all aspects of the team that reports to me. So, um, you know, at any given time, I may have anywhere between 10 and 20 stores um, that report to me. And so when you, you know, go into a retail store and shop, a brick and mortar store and shop, um, it's, you know, sort of my role outside the store to support the store team in delivering whatever experience um, you know, they're, they're meant to deliver. Um, so that means that um, I focus um, like on a daily basis, I could be looking at anything from customer experience to visual merchandising to merchandise sell through um, and business acumen, pretty much soup to nuts, anything in between. I'm, I'm on it. I mean, so you're basically in charge of helping a bunch of these stores succeed. Correct. Yeah. Right. I mean, like on a high level. Yes. To succeed. So yeah, yeah that's, that's what right. I do. Um, and um, my name, so does this come in gold was really honestly, it's just kind of something silly. Um, I um, worked in um, fashion accessories for a long time. And um, 
so I'm a big gold wearer. Like, you know, I don't wear silver tones. So I'd always be like, oh my gosh, yes, this, but does it come in gold? Um, and so that. then it just kind of transitioned um, into that or like literally anything for the house. I'll be like, mm, this is cute, but do those fixtures come with gold instead of silver? And so it just was kind of a joke and it just stuck. And that's how it kind of, you know, became my personal brand. Well, I love it. Um, and I think it says a little bit it, about your personality. I always like hearing people's names and it's long. And so I'm always like, why do people pick long names? But yours is so easy to remember that yeah. sometimes like when I'm on Instagram and I'm like trying to tag people, I'm like, what was it? And yours is so easy to remember. So it is helpful, though. yeah, I definitely, you know, obviously at the time I really didn't anticipate I wasn't thinking about it from a branding standpoint. Um, you know, now as my business has kind of become, you know, something that I focus more on, I really think about is this too mouthy? Um, and you know, that's that's one of my next things to think about. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a branding expert by any means, but I will say your name is very easy to remember. And I mean it is longer, but it like rolls off the tongue quickly and it um maybe just like when you're doing certain like logo type things, like it's kind of, it may be a little long that you could do yes. like filters yeah. or something. I mean, I'm not a branding expert by anything, but in tagging you on Instagram all week, it was super easy to remember where a lot of times I'm like, I don't remember how she spelled yes. you know, like, words that you know. Um, so it was good. Totally love it. Cool. All right. So let's get down and dirty. Um, let's, I want to talk all the things with you. Um, let's start with sourcing. So Jamie, I met Jamie because she has the dashboard. And if you have the dashboard, you uh, get access to the user group. And it's absolutely amazing because everybody is using analytics in their reselling business to help drive their practices. And it looks different for everybody. Um, but Jamie had posted a couple of things in the group and I was like, this girl knows more than she's leading on. Like there's something else there. Um, and so we started chatting a little bit and I was like, yeah, you're coming on my channel. <laughs> like you have so much to share. So um, I wanna start with sourcing strategies. Sure. You have the dashboard. Um, so if you use it or how you use it comes into play, that's fine. Or even before you had it. But when you're going outsourcing, I feel like one of the things, especially people on Poshmark, I don't have Macari, so I don't know what their analytics look like. Um, eBay has pretty good analytics and so does Etsy to know what's selling for you. But I feel like a lot of people, what I hear all the time is like, how do I know what to buy? And there's so much stuff at the thrift store and the bins and like it can be very overwhelming. Um, so kind of walk us through how you source, what you source for, what you think about when you're sourcing, because you're coming from the retail side of, you know, helping stores succeed. And so I'm, I think you're probably a lot more strict and rich or rigorous about what you pick up. Yeah, I think so for me, when I when I start with sourcing, you know, like lots of people have, you know, their routine when they go in the store, you know, they hit shoes, they hit handbags, you know, whatever they like to hit first. I mean, for me, it's kind of like whatever speaks to me at that moment. Um, but either way, you know, whether I'm looking specifically to round out shoes because shoes are working for me or um, whether it's, you know, specifically to address, you know, say plus, I'm really selling through plus well, um, at a particular moment or my plus inventory has fallen below where I'd like it to be. Um, I always head outsourcing kind of with a plan in mind, what I really need to look for. Now, of course, we all know we are very much um, 
sometimes like a slave to fate, you know, whatever you find, I mean, you, I may go looking for plus and find like tons of like fabulous mediums and, you know, Hey, listen, I'm not going to say no to those, but it might not be what I'm looking for specifically. So you um, kind of go in and have an idea of what you're wanting. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, I'm going to feel out before I go out, what do I need? You know, what's really lacking in my closet? What have I sold lately? What flipped quickly lately? Um, what's been flipping high? The dashboard has been very helpful in that. You know, one of the things that is most um, um, frustrating about Poshmark is the lack of analytics, just because there really isn't a lot to um, go on. Um, so, you know, I think educating yourself is somewhat difficult if you're not either using, you know, the dashboard, a tool like yours, or, you know, you're not keeping track of it yourself. Um, so having a plan, super important. Um, I think the other piece for me from an analytics standpoint that drives me crazy with sourcing that I don't have on Poshmark um, is I don't have views. I don't have hits. Um, that is like makes me insane. I think every single person that I have on my, maybe hopefully Poshmark starts listening. <laughs> every single person that I think has come on my live has said views would be amazing because likes yeah. don't mean squat. <laughs> I mean, someone has to see it to give a like, right? But that doesn't mean the ones that don't have likes aren't a hundred people are seeing. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I think uh, just to like get in, tie in a little bit into, you know, my sort of day job. One of the things that, you know, we pay most careful attention to in retail as a metric is conversion. So the amount of people coming in versus the number of people who are making a purchase. So that's the missing piece of the sales equation on Poshmark, because you don't know how many people have seen your item versus how many people are purchasing it. Um, and that, um, you know, I think that is really the thing that I'm like, the light I'm waiting to like go off for me um, when Poshmark finally has that. It's one of the things that I really do like about Mercari because you can see views um, and that really lets you know if your item is something that you should consider um, picking up again. Wow. Um, I see somebody asking about Eloquy and yeah, I, I was gonna, yeah, I don't know how to say it. So I'm glad you, did. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so once I go out to source, you know, I've kind of thought about what I'm going to do. Um, and I, you know, I'm actually out, um, sourcing. I primarily source, um, in retail thrift stores, Goodwill, Salval, um, that kind of thing. I do occasionally, um, do the bins, but it's not always, um, time effective for me because it's at least an hour drive. Um, so it really has to be worth it. Um, and I find the bins are so hit or miss that it's not like I will usually because you can't beat the price. Um, yeah. And it's not an hour for me. It's still a little bit of ways. Yeah. But you can't beat the price. But often I don't stay for very long unless I like you can tell that, you know, someone some really rich person <laughs> gave away their entire closet. But I mean, a lot of times you stay for a while and then you don't find things. And so you pay a little bit more at retail thrift stores, um, but you have a little bit more control of what you're sourcing. Yeah. I mean, I, there's something sort of satisfying about the bins. If you're in the mood for it, you know, like if I have a day where, you know, my husband is doing something else and I could just like 
take the ride out, like put some tunes on and just like dig, then it is fun. Um, but in terms of for my business, I don't always see the biggest return. And as a pretty much, you know, a part-time seller, um, that's not always the best use of my time. You know, if I'm going to spend an eight hour day devoted to my business, the bins may not be my best ROI. That's um, how I feel. And I actually did a um, analysis from my personally, like it was in a large sample, but of I looked at what sold at the bins and what sold at retail and quantified my time for all of it and did like a whole, it's a, in a YouTube video, probably like months ago, I did it. Um, and it ended up, I ended up making about the same amount on each item because the bin stuff wasn't selling as high, but I paid significantly less for it. However, the time commitment that it took me to find stuff at the bins was significantly higher. Not only going through and doing it at the bins, but then also it, you usually have to spend a lot more time prepping it because it hasn't been hanging up and aired out, and, you know, like, yeah. and sometimes like it's kind of gross. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so that's interesting. Um, it, do you want to talk to if the Eloquise sells well for you? Um, my niece is calling, so uh, no problem. I would turn that off. <laughs> so Eloquise is sometimes, so one, it's tough to find. Um, primarily the Eloquise that I sell are items from my personal closet. Um, I find those items do sell. Um, and I think that has a lot to do with size and style. Um, so one, you know, they're items that, um, you know, for, for people who have been um, my customers on Poshmark for longer than a year, many of them know me for plus because primarily I was selling, you know, for my personal closet. And so these are folks who like my taste because that's what they were getting before because you know that's what I would sell through rate or what's your return customer on the dashboard? Yeah. Uh, it's low from month to month. I mean I have I would say I have probably like five core return customers who shop from me like consistently. Um and, you know every few months. Yeah. Yeah. And every few months, you know, they buy a few items and you know and I when I'm sourcing I really need to think about those folks too, because obviously I'd love to keep them as my customer. Yeah. So really thinking about, is this something I would buy? Is this something I would wear? Is it the right size? Um, and, you know, obviously as for many of us who um, sell on Poshmark and for, who are women, you know, um, sometimes I'm a 14 woman's and sometimes I'm a 20 woman. So, you know, it's all over the place. Um, but, uh, but as far as Eloquise specifically, um, you know, I feel like, not I feel like, but I know what sells for me is middle range sizes. So anywhere from a 16 um, W through like a 20 W. Um, I have a couple of larger size um, Eloquy pieces in my closet right now. Um, they are slow moving um, and, you know, they're not going to sell for top dollar. Um, whereas I find with Torrid, I do very well over a three X. Um, so it certainly may just be that, that customer, you know, the Torrid customer, you know, uh, Torrid is really good about serving a four, five, six X. Um, and so that customer knows and is looking for that. Whereas maybe she's not looking for, um, the 24 or 26 in Eloquy. 
Um, so as far as like, cause I was talking about this on, I've done so many things this week. I don't know where I was talking about this, but, um, as far as how you put it in, how you list it, would you list it as like a two? Cause like if people are specifically looking for a two X, but it's a 24, I don't know the conversion between all of the numbers, yeah. but I mean, would you list it differently or have you tried that to see how it so I haven't tried it. Um, you know, if it's labeled a 24, I label it a 24. I, I mean, I find as a plus customer myself um, that sizing is can be a very sensitive issue. Um, and I think that the plus market um, on Poshmark is, you know, I hear a lot of people saying like, oh my gosh, I want to get into plus. And I'm like, okay, well, that's cool. But is the business there? Um, is the business there? Can you meet the need with sourcing? Because finding great plus is like next to impossible. Um, I think plus customers really second only to men keep their stuff forever. Yeah. Um, so, it's probably so hard to find. And, once yeah. you and, yeah. Yeah. and if you find like a dress that you love, like you're literally going to wear it until the wheels fall off. A grateful queen just said, and I have very similar experience that she would love to sell more plus, but it's rare to find it at a thrift store. Yeah, it's definitely rare and i think then the other piece of it is is that it's often the margins are extremely poor so you know if you're buying you know a torrid tank top for six dollars you're not gonna you know very unlikely that you are gonna sell it for over 24 or 25 dollars so is it worth your time I mean, maybe if you're trying to do it for a purpose in your business, like you're really trying to attract that plus customer. Right. Cool. Or a quick flip. I feel like, so another analysis that I did, <laughs> and this was actually, so if you're in the user group, we do a deep dive every month. And so a couple of months ago, we did a deep dive on plus size. Um, and I don't give all of the information out because that's part of being in the group. You get to see the whole report, but I did do a video on it and essentially it moves faster, but it, you, the um, average sale price isn't as high. I'm hoping that's slowly going to start to change as some of the higher end brands are coming out with, because a lot of the plus size, um, especially that you're gonna find at thrift stores are you know, like the Torrid. And so yeah. the retail value, although that being said, the retail value is lower. It holds its um, resale value far better than a lot of other like mall type brands. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that depends on like your business model, right? And like you said, um, <clears throat> Shop Foxborough was on a couple of weeks ago with me and she's really trying to like do it in her closet. And so she will pay up a little bit more, but she gets kind of, um, I don't want to say tricky. She, she sources that other, like she'll go onto Facebook market and explicitly mm -hmm. look for lots of plus, you know, she's not just, she has to be more purposeful in her sourcing because that is something that's important to her to have kind of the whole um, thing. I did have something that came out in this. Um, I want to make sure I'm not missing people. Yeah. Oh, so someone did say, and I find the same thing happens to me. Um, Nicholas and Grateful Queenville said that when they're at the bins, they find that they pick up stuff that they wouldn't normally pick up hands down happens to me all the time, which is another reason that I don't always source the bins because you're like, oh, it's so cheap. And then I get home and I'm like, I don't want to list this. <laughs> Why did I buy this? You know, where if you're paying and even if it's only like a dollar or two more, I feel like it does make me think a little bit more about, do I want this piece? Do I want to list it? Do I want to share it? Do I want to 
ship it. Like all of the things that you have to do with it, is it going to be worth my time? Where at the bins, it's very easy to get taken away with, especially if you're having a bad day at the bins. And I feel like I'm like, I have to buy something, right? And then I get home and I'm like, why did I buy a Target shirt? Right. <laughs> yeah. I'll wear it. I think of the bins, you know, I, I've heard you um, talk in your, some of your videos where you've talked about sourcing um, about your kind of 80, 20 rule. So sourcing 80% of things that, you know, kind of know these are going to be things that are going to work. And then 20% of things that are trying something new. I think the bins are a great place to kind of try something without a huge amount of risk because, you know, so for example, in the winter, I was like, I don't know, I had this moment where, you know, I saw other, um, you know, postures talking about like getting into all these like grandpa sweaters. And I was like, oh, let me try this. Now that's totally not like what my closet aesthetic looks like. And it's totally not something that, um, you know, I typically I would buy, but I was like, I'm going to try it. Um, yes, tell and really, me. yeah, and it didn't, you know, that way it was like, I'm not, this is not a significant loss. If I feel like there's not a market for this or, you know, I'm not maybe looking for the right thing, um, then I'm not, you know, hugely, uh, you know, going to be put out by it. Well, and I feel like, like, I don't want to feel like we're just dissing on the bins. I feel like there's definitely a time and a place for the bins. And if you're just getting into it too, it is a great place to go because you're like, I don't know any brands. <laughs> Let me buy all the things and see how they do for me. Um, and then also if you are low on funds, I mean, you can start like, especially when you're first getting started or even if, you know, you need to keep a really low um, inventory cost. I mean, you can't beat the bins. Um, so I, I want to say that there's different strategy models yes. for everything too that I do think, honestly, even for me, when I shop the bins, the bins is a great place. Like if you have amazing personal style, if you really understand trends, then you can work the bins like nobody's business because you can really dig through and be able to find those pieces that maybe somebody else didn't look twice at but you know, I'm going to style this. This is how I'm going to show this. And people are going to be into it. Um, I think that's where, you know, I think that there's so much space for people with different skills to really leverage that and, you know, do what works for them. I mean, if you're somebody who you're like, I don't know the first thing about how I'm going to style that into an outfit, it's going to seem, you know, contemporary and exciting then maybe, you know, those aren't the risks for you to take. Well, and I get a large portion of my vintage at the bins because most people, I don't like when they first put the bin out because it like, it's chaos. <laughs> I really don't like involving myself unless it's the shoe bin. I will like go balls to the wall on a shoe bin, but the clothing bins, I don't like to deal with all that, but most people pass up the vintage. Like this is like the ugliest eighties, you know, old dress. This is some old lady's dress. And I'm like, Oh yeah. Like give me Bring on. Yeah. Yeah. And so it'll be a bin that's been sat out for like hours and I will find stuff. Um, and so I do think, especially like Colorado is really competitive. Um, and so there are things that you can find at the bins that you would never find in a store, especially at the price because it goes quick. Um, okay, let me make sure. I have a hard time um, keeping up. So Grateful Queen says, also with posh, shipping is expensive. We were going to talk about that. Let's talk about it now. So I need to list higher dollar items on there. On eBay, I can offer free shipping and sell lower um, dollar items that ship for under $4. So I did want to talk about this today, and we'll talk about it now because Poshmark is continuing to, or not continuing, but they're upping their 
um, shipping price starting tomorrow. I think it is. Um, it is only like 40 cents, but we were talking before this aired, it goes a whole dollar amount. I think it goes from six to $7. It's only 40 cents, but the dollar changes, right? Which is also a psychological thing. And to Grateful Queen's point, it, um, if you're selling lower price, like if you're trying to sell a top for $10 and someone has to pay $7 for shipping, like what is that going to do? So I want to hear, I have, I always have thoughts. I have lots of thoughts, um, but I want to kind of hear your perspective on it, Jamie, kind of what you think, if anything, that is going to do to the market. Yeah. So initially my, my first thought was sort of like no news, you know, this is something that I'm going to have to build in to my expenses, like I, I build in everything else, you know, when I look at my margins and, you know, I'm sourcing, I'm thinking about what is my cost going to be and what does my price need to be to reflect that. Um, so this is something that, you know, if it for me, I tend to use offers to likers a lot. So I know if I'm absorbing um, a shipping discount, then um, I gonna, I'm going to need to build that into my pricing. Now, you know, I have some strong feelings about this sort of fairness of that for my customer. Um, but it is, you know, unfortunately, it's not something that we can change, you know, if you're going to play in this particular ballpark, those are the rules. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's, I think it's something that you just have to take. It's just another thing we have to take into account for and kind of work with and make sure that, you know, again, you're not, um, kind of devaluing your time by absorbing costs. I think the other piece for me, um, to Grateful Queen's point, is really thinking about my listing strategy. Where am I listing these items? And does it make sense to cross-list this item to Poshmark? Or would it be better to sell it um, on Mercari, um, where, similar to eBay, where you can ship um, you know, anything under a pound, you know, you're going to be paying for and it's you know roughly four dollars. Um, it's a big difference. Um, I think the other piece I'm going to really need to think about is bundling. Like, how am I going to become more aggressive in promoting bundles um, in order to make that shipping piece a little bit more palatable um, to my customer? And That's I obviously I don't have the answer to yet, but I'm going to figure out. Well, I hope that at some point Poshmark um, does some kind of campaign or something around it because. If you have a fine five pound package, $7 shipping is like a steal. <laughs> so that, I mean, I think, and I totally get from their perspective why they have to up the shipping. Like that's just cost of business. Like, I, I mean, I'm not complaining that they're doing it, but I think that they could really, especially, so I did another analysis the other day um, and the average sale price for Poshmark, most users are $20 and under. But then if you're increasing the shipping and taking out of such a small um, average sale price, you know, your margin is getting closer. Um, and my higher end items tend to sit on Poshmark. So I'm actually cross posting to other platforms because I don't think they sell as well. So I think Poshmark needs to think about how to make this, you know, for the buyer's perspective, they obviously have to up the shipping because that's what they have to do. But how can they encourage? I mean, if you get a five pound package for $7, like that's crazy. <laughs> I don't. And for me, I sell mostly like shoes and purses. And so I like I didn't really think much about it. I was like, yeah, whatever. Seven dollars is still cheap on eBay. It's like like between fourteen and sixteen dollars yeah. for most of my stuff. Um, so yeah. I, I am glad we talked about that. I did have 
oh, I love when I'm sitting here and I have an offer. Like I'm making money while I, <laughs> hopefully it's a good one. Um, I did want to go back real quick. So you were talking about, um, it sounds like you maybe have more of a cultivated closet, more of possibly a niche. Um, your thoughts on that? I mean, do you feel like it's better to have a little bit of a niche or is it better to have a broad, I sell everything that I find or things to think about as you're kind of building your store? Um, so I think there's advantages to both. Um, I'm somebody in really anything that I do, I don't see a whole lot as like black or white. That's just not really how, how my brain works. I think for me, when I think about my closet, um, just because I don't have a giant closet, you know, so I'm like right now, I think I have 175 pieces in my closet. So I don't have an enormous closet. Um, I think if you have, you know, five, six, 700 plus items in your closet, you could have a lot more breadth and be able to maintain it. Um, for me, I sort of think about as I'm sourcing, is there a likelihood that this could fit into a bundle? Do the sizes make sense together? Mm -hmm. um, and do the styles make sense together so that when I'm showing my closet, there's sort of a cohesive feeling. I do really think that also helps with repeat customers because if they know that they can keep coming back to you for, you know, X, Y, Z thing that you're doing really well, um, then it makes sense. I think the other thing for me is that I tend to sell best what I know well, because I can speak to it. You know, if I can speak to fit, if I can speak to, you know, how the item is going to wear, you know, all of those things, I think, make you more credible as a seller. I um, mean, I think that is really important. That appearance of credibility is, to me, is just huge. Yeah. Um, Nick just said that he's, oh, yeah. oh, I don't know if I should call you Nicholas or Nick. So Nicholas, in case you didn't know, my husband's name is also Nicholas. And so is my brother. Um, and my husband hates to be called Nick, but I still call him Nick. <laughs> but you have your name is Nicholas. So I'm wondering if you prefer Nicholas or Nick. Um, not that I'm going to listen because my husband tells me to call him Nicholas and I don't listen to him. So, <laughs> um, but now, now I forgot what I was going to say as I go down that tangent. Um, oh, I feel like too, and I think I posted today or yesterday on Instagram about, I mean, I look at all of these things when I'm sourcing, but does it bring me joy? And I think no matter what it is and if it's a niche or if it's all of the things, if they bring you joy, it'll come out in your closet. You'll want to list it. You will take good pictures. You will share it on Instagram. Like you, whatever makes you excited, I think is the best way. And I think I am, I mean, I will say this time and time again, there is 17 billion gazillion ways um, to do this. Um, that's why I am a pusher on looking at your data, because then you can know what works for you. Um, and so I do think I'm kind of honing in on a niche more just because I don't have a ton of time and I know shoes and purses and they bring me tons of joy. <laughs> um, but I do think there's plenty of closets out there that, you know, have and I was thinking from a retail standpoint, you have, you know, these niche type brands or stores that do well, but then you also have department stores that do well. I think you just have to know what you're doing, like go in with a plan and know that's what you're doing instead of kind of spastic yeah. all over the place. Yeah. yeah. And I think too, you know, when you think about relating it back to kind of what, what I do in my full-time job, if you think about the brands that you personally love to shop or the store experiences where you, you know, you personally love to shop, 
um, you know, most often they're going to have a fully developed brand that is present in everything from the merchandise assortment that they bring to you to the physical plant of the store, you know, all of those things, you know, to the way their website looks, you know, how they um, communicate with you, you know, via social media, via email, like all of that is part of how that brand establishes who they are. Um, and I think, you know, for us as sellers, we can really take away some of that, um, you know, some of that knowledge. Um, and I do think that, you know, we do have a little bit of, um, more flexibility. It's one of the cool things about I think about what we do that we can take a little bit more risks um, and we can pivot a little bit more quickly. You know, it's not like, oh my gosh, I want to make a change to my merchandise assortment. And it's like, you know, two years from now, I'm, I'm, you know, my assortment is coming. It's, it's not like that. Um, you know, for us, we can move a little bit faster um, and get in and out of inventory a little bit quicker. If we try something that doesn't work, you know, you can get out of it pretty easily with minimal loss for the most part, um, you know, which I think is really fun and really exciting and gives us a unique opportunity to, you know, serve customers in a very different way. Yeah. So, I mean, you noted on a brand, um, and I don't know that everybody who's selling is a reseller necessarily has to have a brand. A lot of people just buy what they find and put it out there. But I do feel like, especially, and we're going to talk about this a little bit um, in a minute, but it's getting more competitive. Um, and not only from personal, you know, part-time resellers and individual entrepreneurs, there's amazing, amazing, you have thread up now, you know, you have all these big people that are getting into it as well. And so I think having a brand is where a lot of people are kind of going to distinguish them from outside apart from other people. Um, I'm just kind of making it up as I go. <laughs> so I would love any tips that you have as far as how to build a brand. I mean, what do you want besides like sourcing? We talked a little bit to that. Um, I mean, I know you can do social media, but what kinds of things, if you're just starting this venture and like building your brand, what should you start like thinking about and doing and to kind of cultivate that? So it's interesting because see, I think that you actually are really good at building a brand. Like I feel like <laughs> now maybe not necessarily your closet, but like you know, you're very clear about what you bring to the community. And that is something that you're able to, I'm sure, leverage into sales. Like there's a lot of amazing, um, I think, influencer sellers who have, you know, leveraged their personal brand. It absolutely drives results for them. And there's things that, you know, they're able to run, you know, these like 50% off bundle specials and you see, you know, they're giant piles of packages and I'm like, got, you know, my little like three, you know, things here, but they've figured out how to do that. So I think for each person, it's different. Um, but as far as, you know, brand building and starting out as a reseller, I think you've got to figure out, like you said it, what brings you joy? Like, what are you excited about? What are you excited about? What do you like? And then what do you know about? And is there something that you can leverage? Like, you don't have to swim upstream for everything. Like, choose something you love. Choose something you're going to be excited about. And then kind of take that as your launching point. Um, because that is what's going to give you the excitement, the enthusiasm to like get you over the hump of the grind. Because I mean, obviously we, we know, and if you talk to any reseller, like they will tell you there's like 10 things that they absolutely hate 
um, about reselling, you know, like, right. I mean, like, you know, you, I'm sure like, as you look around all of our workspaces, you're like, oh, that giant pile or that huge rolling rack or like whatever it is, that's a thing oh, that you I'm, easily oh, don't want to deal with that. Yeah. Um, you need the things that you love to kind of get you through that. And I think that is the best to me, the best way to establish a brand. And again, it's just like, to me, I, I don't know, authenticity rates like super high for me. So I feel like if you, you know, I mean, sure, I can try to make a brand about something, but like, if I'm not really into it, it's not gonna, yeah, no. Yeah. And I mean, to your point, I, I think having some excitement is going to help you get over you that hump, but then it's also going to come across and it's what's going to set you apart. Um, you can, obviously tell that I love data <laughs> like, and I'm excited about it and I want to talk about it. And it, I have no issue coming up with content and things to post about. I actually have trouble finding the time to do them all. I mean, I have a list of like 25 YouTube videos I want to do. Um, and I wasn't like, I didn't sit down and say, let's do a brand. I was just like, this is what I want to talk about. Yep. Let's go with it. So I do think finding, you know, to build a brand, find what you like and it'll come i mean it'll come with a lot of work <laughs> but it will um it'll come and kind of build off of that and it may be having things all over the place or finding a niche yeah um, but I think also too it's also about um finding the niche of the thing that you're passionate about but then also you know a niche where you really do serve a community so you know for you you know you were already super into the data piece for yourself but then finding like wow like there's a huge need for this. Like people are out here running businesses, like flying by the seat of their pants without, you know, making, you know, kind of, you know, I don't know how to say it. Like, yeah, I know what you say. Inefficient decisions because you're just like, I'm going to wing it. Cause I kind of feel like tops do really well for me. Well, well, and they do don't they? Have, yeah. But they don't have, I mean, yeah. they didn't have any yeah, yeah. other way. And I did it. That's why I built the dashboard for myself. And then I was like, oh, I guess other people probably yeah. want this too. Need this, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, although I am starting to, I have a love-hate relationship with eBay, but I am starting to put more things on there and their analytics are pretty legit, um, which makes me, I mean, they're definitely more business focused um, for sure. They're um, business model of what they're trying to accomplish is definitely as I'm getting more into Posh and more into eBay, you can definitely tell a difference between the two. Yeah. Um, we are, what time? I feel like, okay. Oh, we're doing okay on time. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the, <clears throat> I touched on the competition. It's becoming more saturated. Not only, I mean, if you look at, I think it was ThreadUp that does um, a report they put out. It's like all the statistics out there and I loved it all of it. Um, but it is telling, you know, like in five years, this is what's going to happen. And the market's changing from, you know, forever 21 type of trendy throwaway to this more environmentally friendly vintage or buy something that you're going to keep for, you know, all of this is kind of changing in a reseller's favor, but then also it's becoming more saturated. Um, and then the news a couple of days ago, Hey Lolly. Um, not the news, but it was at Nordstrom's was the article that you sent me. A couple, yeah. Quite a few of the bigger ones are trying to get into reselling. Um, and they obviously have a brand. They have customers. They have whether or not it'll work or not. But we're having a lot more competition. And I'm noticing just in the year 
that I've been strictly reselling, the comps are getting worse. Um, I think because more people are out there that people are willing to take, you know, lower price things. Um, and so I want to, I want you to speak a little bit about what you think is happening with the market and the saturation and how do we, if we want to stick in it for the long game, what, um, tools or experience, um, tips maybe is the right mm -hmm. word. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not feeling great. I'm trying to like get the words out. You're good. So I think there's, I think we need to, as resellers, I think we need to be, and as a reseller, collective reseller population, I think that we really need to be aware of these wider industry trends. So, um, you know, if you look at the retail world right now, um, you know, for me in my, in my personal, um, you know, uh, sort of career, um, this is a really scary time to be in retail. It's, it's a, it's a moment of, of huge change where, you know, we're seeing kind of like longtime established brands that have been out there forever are now, um, you know, falling out of the market and new brands are entering the market um, or longtime brands are really shifting um, their strategy in order to attract a new and different customer or to just remain relevant. I mean, just to keep their heads above water in some cases, um, particularly for department stores. You know, if we look at Macy's is partnering with ThreadUp, um, Nordstrom is going to move into their own um, secondhand piece. Nordstrom Rack has been partnering um, with um, Rent the Runway to sell um, their, um, you know, used samples. So there's all of these things that are happening. And I think, you know, as resellers, the more we're paying attention to and are aware of those things, the more we're going to be able to protect ourselves and our business um, and make good decisions. Because I think while comps are driving down because competition is getting fiercer, cost of goods is going up because, you know, there's just more um, of this product out there. But these retailers can sell it for a lot more and they're getting it for a lot less. Yeah, right. um, so it's going to be very, very, I think, challenging for smaller sellers um, to combat that. And I think that's where, <laughs> yeah, I think that's where your savviness, like where that ability to pivot is super, super important because so for example, you know, Nordstrom cannot move as fast as Jamie can move. Yeah. So, right you can respond to micro trends. Like if you think about, um, you know, the rise of micro trends, like thinking about fashion through social media, that's something that we can all respond to as long as you're paying attention. You know, if you're figuring out a micro trend at the tail end, you know, it's a little too, too slow, but that's something that a larger brand can't do. Um, I think the other thing, you know, two to think about, particularly, I think it's interesting thinking about Nordstrom getting into secondhand, particularly because um, Nordstrom liquidation is such a popular well, and um, retail item. We're going to talk about retail arbitrage too, but a yeah. lot of um, resellers shop at the rack. Yes. Yes. But, you know, you really have to think about, okay, well, you know, Nordstrom in some ways is making a super smart business decision because they're basically selling. We couldn't sell this crap full price. Yeah. We couldn't sell it on sale. We couldn't sell it the rack. And then now we're going to sell it as secondhand or as seconds um, yeah. or as dead stock. Um, you know, so they're basically taking a moment where they're just going to recoup 
um, you know, their cost of goods. Um, so it's it's going to be interesting, but I think definitely the key the key differentiator for us is agility. Like we have the ability to do what a larger brand could never, never do. So like, how do you stay current on things? Like how, I mean, is it just like getting fashion magazines and like reading, like what types of articles are you reading? What type, like, how are you, I mean, you do this for your job. So to mm -hmm. you, it's like, oh, well, this is happening. Mm -hmm. For those of us who don't, um, I mean, I try and keep up on things, but there's so yeah. much information out there. If you have like a couple places that you're like, go to this website and read their stuff. I think it's all, honestly, stuff. it's all social. Like okay. your magazines, all that stuff. Again, it's too slow. They're planning an issue months and months, even a year in advance. Now, yeah, of course, like, you know, we're going to have fashion week. Should we pay attention and see what's at fashion week? Yeah, but that's probably not going to influence things until further um, down the line. Um, but, you know, really finding um, influencers who speak to the market that maybe speaks to you. So, you know, for me, I am very passionate about serving the plus community. So, you know, making sure that I'm going out and finding great plus influencers and not just big accounts, but like accounts that are doing things that are different, I think is huge. Um, because then you can really see, Ooh, this is somebody who's doing something early and, you know, how can I then think about when I'm going out to source to kind of source into that trend? Um, and I think, you know, that, and, and and it doesn't have to be super specific. And it could be really broad. Like, you know, if you're, if, you know, I don't, I don't know, for example, if feminine aesthetic really speaks to you, then when you're going out to source, um, like when I go sourcing, um, you know, for example, right now I'm sourcing spring transition and spring. Um, I don't sell that far out. I mean, probably I should be sourcing summer, but I'm not, I'm, I'm a little bit more, uh, I don't, because my closet is not big, I'm sourcing well, more sell now. But um, on where you source to, if you do a lot of retail thrift stores, ours don't put that stuff out until then. So you can't, unless you bought it last year um, or you're going to the bins, you can't source that far in advance. Yeah. Uh, most of our stores. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm sourcing, so when I'm sourcing spring, I'm thinking about what do I want the aesthetic of my closet to look like? What trends do I think I wanna be able to speak to? What percentage of the merchandise do I not care what the trend is? And I just know that this is stuff that is gonna sell. I know it's gonna speak to my customer. It doesn't matter if she's like trend driven or not, um, because I think there is a huge percentage of customers who shop on Poshmark who are, not at that cutting end of trend, you know, they're really like, they're super happy to get that loft plus polka dot dress, you know, and yeah. I'm more than happy to have that in my closet too. Um, and I think with all of the platforms that are coming out, I was actually thinking, and I don't know that I could do this, it would be so time consuming, but there needs to be an infographic out there of all the different platforms and what they speak to. Um, yeah. And, I was, you know, because I don't have 17 billion things on my plate. I was like, I could totally make that and take a survey. And <laughs> I'm not going to do it. But it would be amazing because I'm so I'm cross posting and Poshmark or like Depop a lot of um, it is more of like a social like what's hip and trendy now where eBay is like 
all the things, you know, and kind of some of the more unique Etsy is vintage, you know, and that's where like honing in on what works for you and what's good for you. Or if you're doing all the things, if you're going to cross posts, know where to put that, you know, you have to have a strategy to stay in it for the long game. I don't care what your strategy is, but you kind of have to have a strategy and um, a plan in what you're doing. Um, I was going to speak to something else, but I don't know. Grateful Queen said the upside is that it could normalize the secondhand market for some people who might not be willing to consider it before. Agreed. Yeah, 100%. And what's funny is, so you were talking about, um, you know, like some of the new trends and people are trying to get a new market. I was talking with Nicholas the other day and Nicholas Parker made me realize how old I really am. <laughs> Cause he's like, he's like, Oh, I graduated high school six months early. And he's like doing this reselling. He's like, I was gonna go to college. I'm doing this reselling. I mean, he is like killing it, but he said that a lot of, and I hope he doesn't mind me saying this. It's really good, useful information. Um, that a lot of the people his age are into it. And I was like, really? Cause I get the sense of like the younger people are wanting this resellable, you know, it's like the cool hip thing. And that's how old I am. <laughs> Because I've lost contact with what the cool hip thing is. Um, so yeah, it could help normalize it and actually help our sales as well. I think it'll be really interesting to see how it is. Um, I do think that if you want it in the long game, you do have to pay attention to it. And you do have to be making strategies and thinking strategically about what you're doing. Whatever that is, I don't care. But you do need to be thinking strategically about what you're doing to be able to um, make that profit. Um, as we're talking about that, I wanna talk a little bit about retail arbitrage. Mm -hmm. I have never had luck with it, um, but some people do it. And coming from the retail side of things, I wanna hear your thoughts on retail arbitrage. Um, yeah, your thoughts. <laughs> um, okay, so I, I have a lot of like strong thoughts about retail arbitrage, but the, the, like, <laughs> the big overall picture is I'm not that into it. Um, I'm not that into it. Uh, and, and the reason is because, um, you know, in my business model, um, you know, I, so my gross margin is like my and all for how I determine sourcing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, retail arbitrage is, has a very unlikely chance of fitting into my model. Um, so, you know, I look to have a gross margin of something between 60 and 68% on every item that I sell. Yeah. Stop you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can you just quickly? Do yes. yes. Yeah. You don't yeah. have to give us a yeah. long detailed formula, but just quickly no. how to come up with that margin. Yeah. So basically, you know, if you take the, um, what you earn from the item less, the cost of the item and less your fees. Now, I mean, you could get more complicated and back out, you know, everything, but just take those two things out to keep it simple. You know, I want to have at the end of that, you know, 60% is kind of the, the difference between what the item costs me to sell and what I ended up making. Now, sometimes when you, you know, do the math on that, for example, if I purchase something for $3, um, you know, on Poshmark, taking into Poshmark fees um, and not doing any shipping discount, but just let's say, you know, regular fees, $3 cost of goods. That means that I need to be selling that item for a minimum of $20 in order to make my 65% margin. So, you know, you can obviously like do the math sort of up 
from there on something that didn't cost three dollars. Um, but if something costing three dollars has to sell for twenty, if something costs twenty, it has to sell for a whole lot more. Now. That being said, there are some things that I think are worth the quick flip. Um, and there are certainly people who, you know, make their whole business, um, you know, out of retail arbitrage. For me, I sort of think about, okay, let's say you're going to um, source, I don't know, um, handbags. Um, well, if you, you know, go to the outlets and you see, you know, a great branded handbag, it's 70% off plus 20% off, you know, plus 10% off. And you're like, oh my God, this handbag is like free. Obviously, you know, it was $500 and now it's $70. I can obviously sell it. Yeah. But you're never going to sell it for the 500 that originally retailed for. And there's probably a good reason why that bag is now $70. Um, and so for me, I always think, okay, if this brand couldn't sell it for five, what makes me think, right, that I can? Um, and, you know, that's not a hard, fast rule. Like, obviously, there's always that that like unicorn that you know somehow ended up not getting sold for you know whatever reason and now you're gonna get a super amazing deal on it by all means like i'm on that yeah. um but for the most part you know when you go and there's like 20 of that handbag or 20 of that pair of shoes and they're now 50 percent off the clearance price why well yeah there's a reason that's kind of how I feel. And I actually, in the video I released uh, sometime this week, I don't know what day it is, but I had talked about, I did a little retail arbitrage with, so everyone was like, oh, Starbucks cups, like they're the big, you know, and so I was like, oh, and so I kept my receipt. And so it was very minimal risk because I just took them all back. Um, <clears throat> but I made one of them, I made a dollar on <laughs> and one of them I made $7 on. And, but my uh, cost was, you know, so my margin would not have been great yeah. because I paid $20 for them. Um, but I do think it brought some traffic. So sometimes I think it brings traffic. Um, so you have to consider all of those things. Um, and I do want to talk a little bit about the gross margin because that is how I shop. Um, and I think from a retail, I mean, from a business standpoint, you have to be making decisions that are going to be making you money. Um, and you don't have to do 60% margin. You don't have to do 80 or 30. I mean, you pick your margin and you see what is working for you. Um, but I do think it's important and I go in and I was telling, I do, um, one-on-one -on -one dashboard consults if you need help with the data. And so I did one this week, um, and I was telling them I spend probably a third of my time at this thrift store deciding what I'm going to keep. Um, and not just like looking at it, but I look at the comps there and then I calculate my gross margin. I mean, based off the comps, sometimes they don't always sell, but if it does not get me that price that I am aiming for, I don't buy it. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's another way that's going to keep us relevant. And in it is if you are sourcing items that are working for you, because it takes you just as much time to source and list and sell something that's making you $5 as it does something that's going to make you $30. Um, now, if you can only find items that are going to make you $5, then you find a business model that's going to work for that, right? Um, but I do think that's where like strategy and like you said, I mean, what you do in your day job, you guys aren't flying by the seat of your pants. <laughs> you're looking at these numbers and when you're, I mean, you're sourcing differently, but when you're ordering things and figuring out what you're selling and what your brand is and what you're doing, you're doing it all very strategically, right? Yep.
Yeah, for sure. And I think too, you know, when it, when it comes to the retail side of things, and I think this plays into the sort of arbitrage piece as well, but you know, brands are designing and buying even in, you know, fast fashion, the fastest brand is doing this months and months in advance, you know, and they, they have very little ability to change direction. Um, and that's why, you know, I mean, if you look into some of the brands that are really struggling, like, for example, you look at a brand like H&M, which has sort of made its bread and butter in being something trendy now they're so big you know that they don't have that ability anymore to pivot so when they have a miss it's a huge miss um and it you know it's very difficult for them to to come back from that so you know the 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 field team you know the stores and then you know the folks like me you know our role is whatever somebody up the line bought we now have to figure out how are we going to sell it? Um, And, you know, that's kind of how I think about my job as a reseller is too, you know, sometimes it's like if I've been, you know, invest in inventory and now I have to think about what am I going to do to sell this? Um, And, you know, obviously in store, you know, I'm thinking about where is it placed in the store and how is it presented? But the same thing is true in my closet. You know, what does my cover photo look like? Is it compelling? Am I featuring it, you know, sort of near the top? Is it something that I think, um, you know, is just like a bread and butter piece that's going to be in there that hopefully get bundled? Um, am I sharing it on social? Like, wh- what does it look like? Like, what am I doing to make this piece exciting? And is every piece in my closet worth it to do that? Could, could you do it for 500 pieces? No, no, of course not. That's just not realistic. Unless you're doing it for like years, yeah. <laughs> right? Like after so long, like things you easily start to build yeah. up yeah. <laughs> a thing. Um, I have all these thoughts when you're talking because you just hit on like so many good points. Oh, I was going to say that is part of, um, I love vintage. I just love it. But I think for me, that is part of my strategy in doing vintage because it is, I feel like there is a niche and there is a market for it and it, you can't, really get another piece like it like I can go find another citizens of humanity pants in this size but with vintage you have to be very um mindful in how you present it because it does you know a lot of the vintage that I just like put on a hanger doesn't do anything that's why I started modeling it because now this dress looks like a cute trendy dress instead of something that your mom wore in the 80s, which it probably was something that your mom wore in the 80s. But now the way that you present it, there's a lot more mindfulness that goes in behind the scenes if we want to do the long. Yeah. For me personally, that's something that um, I really see as kind of like a personal challenge that I'm looking to overcome in my business because, you know, I love sourcing vintage. Like I there's something so exciting about finding that unique piece. Mm-hmm. And for me in my head, I'm immediately thinking of four or five ways that I'd want to style that. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this would be so cute. But how do you convey that um, when you maybe can't model? So, you know, obviously finding Vintage Plus is like, good yeah. luck with that. Don't build your model on that because it ain't happening. Well, um, right. And the Vintage Plus that you find is actually like a modern day. Oh, correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, so, you know, really thinking about that and, um, you know, I'm a great believer that, you know, a mannequin really 
it doesn't really do anything in terms of like really articulating to the customer that, that the item is exciting and something that they need to see themselves in. Um, so that's something that for me, I've been really trying to figure out how am I going to, how am I going to overcome that? Yeah. Do you do like um, flat? Cause I've seen some really cute styled flat. Yeah. But yeah. then part of the struggle with that is the Google um, search engine likes it to be very clean and a yeah. white background. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, um, it's, yeah, it's definitely something that I'm like puzzling over, but you know, I'm not in the type, my business is not the type of position type of situation where I could have a model or, you know, something like that. I gotta, like, well, I was just yeah, like, you could totally find like a teenager to come yeah. hour. Um, right. Yeah, great minds. Um, we are getting close to that hour, so I'm going to try and wrap it up. Um, I had a question on here. I think we've gone over most of it. Um, oh, I like asking this of all my people. You have 30 minutes to spend on reselling today. What do you choose to do? Oh, this is the question I was hoping you weren't going to ask me. Um, <laughs> everyone has a different question, and a lot of times it's something that I'm like, huh. I, yeah. that, I wouldn't have thought to do that. Yeah. I think the answer is it depends on when I find the 30 minutes. Um, so mm -hmm. often, you know, the way that my schedule works, um, the 30 minutes that I may have may be 30 minutes at 10 o'clock at night. So, yeah. you know, I'm not going to be able to use that time for sourcing. So I've really got to like use the, the increments of time responsibly. Um, I think if I have zero inventory at home, the answer of the, for those 30 minutes is always 30 minutes of like power sourcing and really being thoughtful about knowing what I'm going to go and get when I go. Um, if the answer is not sourcing or if I have stuff still at home, if there's anything in my like danger pile, then um, then the answer is listing um, or interacting, particularly on Poshmark, like utilizing the social aspect. I think that that really does um, generate kind of action, um, you know, in the closet. For sure. Great answer. Cause it was, it is tricky. Like it depends yeah. on what day, yeah. what you're doing, what you need to do. Yeah. I mean, every day is a little bit different. Yeah. Um, I've been like on a personal commitment to myself to not have like unlisted inventory. Um, and I'm like, I'm really, it's a, it's a new year's commitment that I'm really, I'm really working for. It's hard and I, I do it um, because yeah. I think of this as a business, not as a shopping addiction. Yeah. And it is hard not to think of it as a shopping addiction. But I'm like, if this is a business, I should not be getting new inventory if I have things to list. Yeah. Um, I'm actually probably not going to list this month at, or shop this month at all. Crazy. I only shopped two days in January. Yeah. Well, that's normal. My normal is like two days. Yeah. It was I feel like marathon shopping on a Saturday where I hit up like three to five stores on a day. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but I'm trying to cross post a lot. And I'm like, if I know that I go, if I go shopping, I'm going to have new things to list and I'm going to want to list those and not cross post. And yeah. so I have to like force myself to cross post and not shop. Shopping is like my reward. Like if I get so much cross posted, I'm going to shop. I don't think it's going to happen. Um, <laughs> Cause I have, I have like 700 items in my closet that I want to get cross posted. So. Girl, you got work to do. <laughs> I know. Also, like some of it is vintage. Not like so vintage. I'm only can list on yeah. Etsy, so it's not all the items. But this was a wonderful conversation. Um, I want to thank everybody for joining us.
I have Jamie's information is down below. She's also on, she is on social media. Um, so you can leave comments for her down below and I'll make sure that she sees them if you're watching this in the recording or she's very responsive in social media. Um, and then if you have the dashboard, she is also in there a lot answering questions and involved in there. She's a great member of that community as well. Um, I want to thank you so much for coming on here. Oh, Styles by Paula asks if you have a VA if you feel comfortable sharing. I know some people don't feel comfortable sharing, so I don't want to put you on this spot. Yes, I do. Okay. Um, yeah. <clears throat> and Poshmark says it's okay as long as it's not a bot and they're in the US, just for everyone to know the rules on Poshmark. Um, I don't know what I was saying. Comments down below, reach out to me or Jamie if you have questions. This has been very enlightening um, and helpful. I hope that a lot of people are making this into a business and can hold on for the long game. So thank you all for joining me. Um, have a wonderful night. I'm going to lay in bed. <laughs> I, I can get better by tomorrow. See you later. Thank you for yeah. joining